Recorded on location at the Burger Museum in Miami, Florida, it is time for the show guaranteed to make you hungry. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Burger Beast Podcast. Welcome back to the Burger Beast Podcast and today's guest, you know who it is? You guys know who it is? It's Mr. Carlos Frias. Come on, you guys know who this is. Miami Herald, Food, Miami Herald Food Editor. Come on, come on, guys. Let's get with the program. So, um, Carlos, welcome. Welcome to the Thanks podcast. Thanks for having me. It's it's fun. I like. Uh, I I always love hanging out at the burger, uh, the the Burger Museum, and uh, and you and you treated me with. Uh, with chocolate chip cookies, chocolate on chocolate, <laughs> which is the which is the rare treat uh, above the chocolate chip. So so this is this is this is how you welcome a guest. I feel at home. Right. What I didn't tell you, there's laxative in those cookies. Oh, <laughs> this will be a very short episode. <laughs> so probably let me just give a little background to when you and I met. Let's see if you, do you remember when we met? I'm gonna guess that we met. At an event that I came down for while I was at the Palm Beach Post, I'm gonna guess maybe the first frita, like some frita event. Am I close? Close. You okay? So you, June 13, 2013. Good lord! Why do you know that? Why? Well, well, I don't know it off the top of my head. <laughs> I need to go research that. Uh, Otelio Cardenas and Mago Las Fritas and Alberto Cabrera did a, a, oh. a, a dinner together. I remember this. And uh, you wrote about it called Battle of the Cuban Hamburgers. Yes. Fritas two ways. That was great. Did I go with my kids that day? I don't remember. There was a lot. There were a lot of people in that restaurant. That there was. Day, there were a lot of people. What's funny about that is that you know, um, Alberto grew up going there, and he had never really spoken to a mago. And Alberto, had, I believe, had just lost his father. And he said, you know, I used to come here with my dad a lot, and I've never talked to a mago. And I suggested, you know, you guys should probably cook together. Oh, and then wow. just do, like, dishes. Like, one of you does the dish. And that's what they ended up doing. You know, they actually, they did, Mago did his frita. He did his version of frita. He, he did, did frita tamal and right? cazuela. I don't, I don't remember what he did. And then he did tamal and cazuela. And then he did his version of a flan. And, oh. and um, it was fun. It was cool. It was cool to see that going on. But it was just, it was it was madness. I, I left. I can't handle being, like, especially like that. I, I felt like I was a tamal in there. You know, it was right. just like a. Yeah, because uh, it's, so, it's so small to begin with. And they, they were easily, what? 50, 60 people in there, but it was great. I mean, I remember thinking, what a cool event, you know? Uh, like, I remember eating, um, you know, Emao La Frita, and Array really was my first, like, my first introduction to them. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't grow up in Miami. I grew up in Broward. So, like, a frita was like a special treat. Like, all the fam- all my family was in Hialeah and Las Aguaceras, so we'd come in, and if you come across a frita, your head exploded, you know? You're like, uh, you know, I was one of those kids that my parents always cooked. Like, I'd point at McDonald's, they're like, you don't need McDonald's? Like, they know that Eddie Murphy thing. I'll make a McDonald's when we get home. And it was like a, you know, a green pepper burger that was horrific. So it was like a special treat to go out, and I remember eating fritas and being like, I don't know what this is, but it's delicious. I'll tell you where I first had one. My dad was a jeweler forever. And in Carroll City, and twice a week, uh, we would pack up. He would pack up and go to downtown to buy the jewelry for his for his little mom and pop jewelry store. And during the summers, I would go with him. And it, our, it was our it was our routine, you know, uh, to get up early on a Saturday, Saturday morning, uh, go down in the car, um, and do like a couple stops, a couple 
buys and purchases in downtown. When downtown, uh, it's funny. People say downtown has gotten better, but it, it still smells like like human feces everywhere. They're gonna say smells like downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but like one of our like uh, midway through our day and midway through our morning, we'd go to like a little cafeteria like inside one like inside the Civil Building or inside the old Capitol Building, and just have like you know I remember having like the go. Have the frita. I didn't know. I didn't know where else you could get them, but I remember having this thing there and being like, "This thing is delicious." I, I well, I, my first frita was at Morro Castle in Hialeah, mm. because my dad worked. Um, my dad worked for Wise Potato Chips, and his route was Hialeah, Medley, Miami Springs. Um, and then we stopped at the window and we ate it at the Ventanita. We literally stood outside and he, and I tried it. And the first time he was like looking at me, like hoping I would like it, you know. Right. And I was uh, because I was so obsessed with burgers my whole life. Um, you know, he kind of figured, you know, he's he's got to like this, you know, right. which I which I did. And it's funny when I introduced it to my wife, she Marcella, she initially did not get it. Saying, yeah. What am I eating here exactly? What's wrong yeah. with this burger? Yeah, and, <laughs> and if you've never had a frita, you know, people call it a frita cubana, a Cuban hamburger. It was street food in Cuba. Um, generally, it's beef seasoned with paprika. Some people put in pork, chorizo. Usually, cooked smashed with onions on a, on a flat top. Sometimes hamburger rolls. Sometimes Cuban roll. Right. Julian potatoes, or they do the you know picnic. Uh, depending on you know where, where you go, right? You know, you're really hardcore if they're making their own little potato sticks. That's yeah. how you know this person's really committed. Like if they're doing the the, the Julian potatoes. That's what I always loved about it, Mao was there they made their own Julian potatoes versus you know the you know you grew up you know what you know. Somebody gives you a frita for the first time and it's got picnic potatoes on it, and your head explodes and you're like oh wow this is I guess this is a frita, and then somebody does you know fresh fried you know shoestring potatoes over the top. <laughs> Forget it. It's but did, did you know you could actually buy them to take home? What the the shoestring potatoes cook? I like. No. Yeah, I've bought them for barbecues, and then you you know with your grilling. Home? Yeah, and then yeah. Yeah, I put them on my hot dogs and stuff. At, at, at a, I bought his. I bought the breads. I bought the breads. I was like, dude, these breads are delicious. Go, oh, we buy them at wherever he wherever he has them made baked for them. And he had a pack, and I was like, I'll, whatever that is, I want to take that home and. And I ended up making just like a regular burger on it. I was like, they were it's actually on the it's actually on the on the menu board. People don't even know it. It says French fries and then Papa Julianas, which is you can get them. Reading but yeah, so I bought them to boys yeah. and girls reading is essential. <laughs> yeah, some people don't even uh, notice that. So I was scrolling the internet trying to figure out what I could dig up on you. God, there's a lot out there. It's, unfortunately, there's a lot out there. Yeah, I got some great pictures of you, which oh, I'm going to be posting later. No, oh, I'm just oh kidding. my god! Oh, what is Pornhub? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, if you don't know. <laughs> What exactly is the Wall of Shame short film from 2011, and where can I find it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you can find it if you go on YouTube and you search Wall of Shame like film festival. You'll find this movie that I was involved with. So, my, like I mentioned, I was, uh, I was mentioning earlier that uh, my cousin is a sound engineer, and he was one of the sound engineers on Moonlight, the Oscar-winning film. So, uh, years ago. Um, there was this there was this young group of actors, creatives. You know, when Miami, uh, South, when Florida still had a tax credit, who were who had the desire to start developing like film talent and, and acting talent and writing and all that stuff. And uh, and and uh, folks were kind of filming almost for free, like you'd make little skits and things like that and put them out on the internet just to get some chops. And like some of the some of the people in that group were like. Uh, Miranda Khan, who was a, a t 
she was a TV anchor. She went on to become a TV anchor. Uh, Jenny Lorenzo, who's La Abuelita from all the YouTube videos. Right. When she was still at UM Film School wearing a blue wig and like playing character actors. Um, my, again, my cousin Julio, my friend Chris Giles, both of whom worked on Moonlight. Uh, Juan Navarro, who's a really talented comic book artist uh, who's got a shop in Hialeah here. Um, Is that the, the little design you put of... Uh was yes, a, the flamingo? The, the, the Don Quixote one. It's that was Don very Quixote cool. Yeah. riding a flamingo. <laughs> yeah. And instead of a lance, he's holding a, a paintbrush. Yeah, because you put it on Instagram, I saw it. Is yeah. that where I saw it? Yeah. yeah. So re- there's really a group of like talented folks, you know, got together and they there was this contest. It was to film a it was to conceive of, film, edit, and cut completely a three minute movie uh, in twenty four hours. So at, at 10 o'clock, you go online and they tell you these are the elements that you have to include in your movie, and, uh, and then you have to just start writing. So Juan and I wrote a script. We've, you know, we directed it you know, uh, you know, in a, in, at Tate's comic book store in, uh, in Broward, which is like a really famous comic book store. We were just waiting there for, to get the instructions. And then we, we cut it together. And uh, and posted in 24 hours and and it won like you know audience favorite for like the it's like the, it's called like the 24 hour film festival or something like that yeah so I, 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 I didn't even, I didn't even check YouTube I don't know why I didn't uh, I was should. so excited that I found that I was like oh look at this guy being sneaky yeah I went to your website I went I'm very proud of it I went to your website and then I was like um, I was like look, look at this so you know coming up I have. Um, I want to bring up when you judge that the Palooza because I always think okay. this is a funny story. All right, okay. So, because I, I must be some sort of masochist to ask you to come back and judge again. Uh, no, no. So you were judging at the Palooza. Yeah. And I'm on stage, and I'm trying to announce the winner. And I'm like, Carlos, where are you? Uh-huh. Carlos, where are you? Mm-hmm. And you stood us up. You never showed up. No, you did show up. I did show up eventually, but where was I? You, you were caught in the spider web. I was down the rabbit hole <laughs> because we have this, this friend, in, uh, friend in common, uh, uh, Jorge Saldivar, yeah. right? Am I pronouncing that? Sa- George Saldivar, yeah. George Saldivar, mm-hmm. uh, who, is, who is a maniac. You mm-hmm. and I both know, but folks know, <laughs> who is a maniac for guavas. I just call him Guava George. <laughs> right, and so does everyone else like that. Guava George <laughs> is a maniac for guavas. He can, tell you, he can tell you the first guava that was conceived on planet Earth. He can tell you, like, I think he was the one that told me that that the original, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the fruit the fruit that's that's discussed in the Bible is not an apple, but it is a guava. <laughs> you know, like the dude is a maniac. So he starts talking to you about guava, and I'm like, this is the, I never met this guy. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm th- I'm three hours down the rabbit hole on guavas, and it wasn't until later I realized that they were calling me up on stage. I love you, George, but you know that you're crazy with guava. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what could this guy be possibly doing that 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 uh. More important than getting up here and helping us give I out was, the awards. I was in Wow, big time. <laughs> and I remember you're like, you're like Guava George. You're like, like you're like while you're running to the stage, you're like Guava George. <laughs> so we're gonna ha- we're gonna be doing. So you're coming back to judge again. My, an upcoming event, my my new event is called Love Me Ten. There's a chicken oh, yeah. tender event. It's gonna be an all ages event because I don't generally do all ages event. Which my kids have had a big problem with that because I'm like, well, kids, here, you stay with the sitter. I'm going to go eat croquetas, you know. I'm going to go eat all the fritas I can eat, you know, and you stay home. Well, and, and so this time, 
you're, they're going to be judging with you because uh, we're doing a twist on, on the judging where you're going to be judging with Richard Hales from Sakaya Kitchen and um, and his daughters and Nadal Ahmad from Pincho Factory and his daughters. Right. So the funny and you guys all have daughters. That's the yeah, funny part. And we only make daughters. <laughs> so um, you guys will be judging and they'll actually be the adult best chicken tender and then the kids best chicken tender award. Which is genius because mm-hmm. chicken tenders are the one like uh, the egalitarian food, the one that like kids, you know, kids love and, and you know, you'll never find an adult who says that I don't like the public's chicken tenders. So it's yeah. such an egalitarian food and it's great that there's like a kid's category and an adult's category. Yeah, and I, and I think the kids will appreciate seeing it like, oh, I wonder who the kids, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, your daughters also have, um, they're on Instagram, a blog yeah. called The Three Little Forks. Yep, yep. They, if you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, that, give a... Oh yeah, so so a couple of years ago, their mom suggested, "Hey, why don't you you guys?" Because their mom and I have always cooked a lot at home. We're not their mom and I aren't together, but uh, even when we're together, we always cooked a lot at home. So they grew up, uh, you know, cooking and and being around the kitchen and being really interested in it for whatever reason. Maybe because we were always interested in in just cooking at home. And uh, and she suggested, "Why don't you guys start a little blog?" So one day they were at my house, and uh, you know they had this idea to start the blog, and I you know I came up with this title, "The Three Little Forks." So I just gave it to them and uh, set up the, um, like literally just got their Tumblr. It was started as a Tumblr account and then they just took off on their own. Like they figured out how Tumblr works. They knew how to, figured out how to add photos. And before I knew it, you know, they started an Instagram account and, and they started writing about, you know, the stuff that they cook and the stuff that they like to eat when they go out. And it turned out the two of them, um, the two most passionate about it are my middle and youngest daughter. Like they're crazy passionate about like, just, you know, uh, inventing something new, or even just when they wake up in the morning, like, I don't have to go cook them anything. They're, I'm like, go ahead, go make yourself some eggs. And they know what, you know, they know exactly how the work to wear around the kitchen. So they both ended up being on Chop, Chop Junior. Right. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, good segue. Thank you. Yeah, so, so yeah. Thank you. You want my job? Is that what, uh, <laughs> listen, man, if you're, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna half ass it, I can whole ass it. <laughs> So yeah, so your daughters were on. The judges were uh, Michael Voltaggio, Marcus Samuelson, and Brian Voltaggio, and it was right. hosted by Ted Allen. Yeah. So I got to ask you, who's the biggest douchebag of all? <laughs> Just... Oh my god. <laughs> you know what's funny is I, I didn't take him up because I stayed with my oldest daughter. She had school. Uh, the others. That's had a good way because there's no way to prove whether you were there or not. Yeah. That's right. that's <laughs> uh, so so she went up with. Uh, they went up with her mom, and um, and the casualidad, total by total coincidence. I want to say a month and a half before I had scheduled an interview with the Voltagios a week after that day um, before we knew they were going to Chopped uh, to talk about their new restaurant that's going to be in the new train station it's called Monger it's the it's the fir- it'll be the first restaurant that they work at together together right I remember reading that and um, so then they get picked where did I read that on the New Times <laughs> alright well I'm going to get <laughs> No nah, man, I'm down with the new times. They do a lot of stuff that I can't get to, which is I hell I go to them for, for stuff to do. And I mucked that all up. I meant to say New York Times. <laughs> I was saving that zinger for later. No, that, was that was actually better. That worked better right there. Um, but no, nothing. I had this interview scheduled and and it wasn't until they were done and they told me, you know, that they you know, they called and oh my god, we won and I was like, out of curiosity, who judged it? And they were like, these two brothers. They didn't know exactly these two brothers. I'm like these two brothers, and when I finally told them, they, you know, I, I couldn't believe that I was going to be talking with these guys next week. So, I walk into my previously scheduled meeting, 
and they both like jump up from the table and they're like, dude, your daughters. And they were, you know, and it was such a, they were so cool. And then after watching, you know, I didn't see the, I didn't see them perform until everybody else did. Right. You know, when it, when it aired and they were so generous you know, with uh, dealing with kids. Because, I mean, some people are just, forget being chefs and being celebrities. Some people just walking around don't know how to talk to kids. And they were so generous and so, uh, you know, um, accommodating to them uh, that they, you know, they had a really good experience. And, you know, I was worried that it was going to be, you know, that this competitive thing and it was going to be like, oh, my God, they're going to be, you know, doing lines of Coke and in six months, you know, <laughs> these TV kids are going to be, you know, like, like, you know, this is my life. Don't tell me what to do. But it was just such a good experience for them, you know. And yeah, my mom, I think I told you my mom was a big fan of your youngest daughter, which I think is who, who won. Oh, Catalina. Yeah. 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 My one, my youngest one, man. And it's funny because we did, they tell you in the months leading up, uh, practice with them. Give them, because Chopped, if, if you haven't watched it, is, uh, they give you a basket with mystery ingredients, and you got to work them all into the food. And, and you should want to transform them into something. So um, when we did all the chopped at home, uh, my middle daughter was the one who always, quote unquote, won. You know, we judged. Like, they gave us the food, and they bring them out, and we taste them. And she always, you know, she got the higher points. You know, she she won. But when, you know, that day came, my, my little one being kind of like a free spirit, you know, inventó, you know, resolvió. And she and she would come up, you know. She came up with what she came out donut ice cream, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was a great episode. So um, again, I was saying I was searching mm-hmm. for things to talk to you about, and I and I came across. Did you know there is a Dominican baseball player named Carlos Frias for the Dodgers? Yeah, I not only do I know that that person exists, I often get tweeted at by other people. <laughs> like, uh, you know, they'd say something about, like, oh, Carlos Frias, that was a great game last night. And I'll, and I'll just write back, you know, I've lost a little on my fastball, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can still find the plate. <laughs> yeah, I, if I were you, I'd be kind of angry. Have you been paying attention to his career? No, he's, he's, not, had a great, he's not had a great career. <laughs> you got to do something about that. Well, but until Sometimes, I, like, I don't know, middle initial. Uh, yeah, no, no. I was like, listen, I don't want to be confused for no, for no half-assed uh, baseball player. No, but I, you know, whatever, that guy... I, I actually considered. I was like, if he ends up on a team that I like, I'm gonna have to buy that jersey. That's yeah. You, oh, that that's a, that is a good idea. I hadn't right, even thought about right. that. And it's like, no, it's not a custom jersey. I just I just ordered. Yeah. That. You know, he's trying to hint for someone to get him that as a gift. No, don't. Please don't send me. <laughs> Start that. sending them to the Miami Herald <laughs> care of Carlos Frias. Terrible jerseys. <laughs> Some Arizona Diamondbacks jerseys. And <laughs> I really hope people send that in. Just one person. That would be amazing. Maybe I'll just uh, <laughs> get the ball rolling. Uh, Actually, get one of those old Miami. What didn't? What didn't? Wasn't there a Miami Marlins Triple uh, A team here? Like maybe not even Triple A, but like a lower ball, a semi pro team. I'm not sure. I'd be that'd be badass. Have one of those old school jerseys. I might even wear that. And I'm not. A, I'm not a wear wear athletic uh, gear kind of guy either. But I was, I was going to ask you your favorite story that you've ever written, but I have a feeling that I know what you're going to answer. So then I I said let me. Go back a little bit and talk about the book you wrote. Okay. Uh, Take Me With You, Secret Search for Family in a Forbidden Cuba. Um, if you want to just talk a little bit about the, the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's kind of the, where that started is um, a couple years ago. Not a couple years ago. Let me think back. In 2006. And at that time, you were doing writing about sports, right? Yeah, I was exclusively a sports writer. I, I, I've been a sports writer most of my career. I've only been writing specifically food for like the past... Four to five years, um, 
and before then, uh, general features, you know, just kind of uh, general interest stories. I used to say that my beat was uh, 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 ordinary folks in extraordinary circumstances. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for um, that, that formula. And those stories were just the most fun to write about. So, but I was doing that in sports. I was doing kind of that uh, with, you know, different athletes who were doing something of note, something of interest. And um, at that time, Castro goes in for that surgery in, in, in uh, July or August. I want to say it was late July of 2006, Castro, Fidel Castro, uh, uh, he leaves pub the public limelight really for good for the most part um, because he's going to go have this surgery and he hands over power to his brother. So my bosses at the Palm Beach Post, they look around the room and they're like, who do we have that speak Spanish? That number was very small of people. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, who do we have that's, you know, uh, who do we have that's Cuban? Anybody. And that number was even smaller. And uh, so they asked, you know, they asked. That's how you know you're in Palm Beach and not in Dade County. Yeah, here it's like, who do we know that speaks Spanish? And it's like, wait, who do we know that speaks English? Well, I mean, if you ask who's Cuban, that's percentage of this. <laughs> no, you have to ask who's, who speaks English. Uh, and, uh, and no, so I went as an, uh, you know, as a reporter, um, and before I went, you know, we're both both our parents are Cuban Americans, and I think we have in common that both our parents at one point told us, "I will never go to Cuba or go back to Cuba, while it's still under the Castro regime." Why? Because they were persecuted in Cuba. And that's it's not a it's not necessarily an an ideological thing, but like my dad spent two years in prison in in a, in La Cabaña, where on his first night in jail, he heard seventeen men executed. How did he know there were seventeen? Because they heard seventeen coup de gras after the firing squad. So he spent two years there and two years in agriculture. So when he says, when, you know, I grew up hearing these stories about this, this wonderful life that he had in Cuba and then it hadn't been taken away, uh, you know, that's very present in my mind when they tell me we want to send you to Cuba. So the first thing I do is I call my dad and I call him on my cell and I hear him pick up and I say, Papi, I'm going to Cuba. And then there's this long pregnant pause over the phone and I just I hear you know you can it's a little bit of of uh, of literary license to say but not much to say that a lifetime is kind of going through that that space of conversation that that silence and then he finally says take me with you and although I physically couldn't take him that's what I tried to do with the writing you know as I tried to like be a voice for our generation who grew up the sons of exiles um, and who are one of the really one of the few people that know in their bones what it what that means versus people that grew up in Iowa, you know, that have a that that might have been told a, a romantic version of the Cuban Revolution. We know what it means because we've seen our parents toil in jobs. Like my dad was a, a Cuban farmer, like one pair of shoes a year, eleven brothers and sisters work their way like to get un kioquito. A uh, little kiosk selling, you know, Cuban coffee in Havana. Uh, having a brother join him, you know, or rather he him joining a brother, and turning that into business. Before they knew it, they had five, you know, like kiosks and cafes and restaurants and and bodegas. That was their life in Cuba. These were self-made people. So that that lie that only the elite came to Miami from Cuba is, is bullshit. Because, like, you know, this was a self-made family, and you know, coming from nothing making a, a living to losing everything and starting and then starting all over here yeah. yeah and then you know hey my, my dad put me through college like you know what I mean like that's that's a success story you know a guy who doesn't have a sixth grade education 
puts his, his, his son through college, I think is, is a great story. So that's the story that I wanted to tell. I went to Cuba, I went to all the places that, you know, that I, we quickly jotted down. Because I, when I told him I'm leaving to Cuba, I, mean, I was leaving that night. So literally writing down people, the names of people at the moment, you know, that he could remember that were still in Cuba, the places that were important, places off the top of his head, stuff that I remember, and just getting ready to make that trip, you know, from one moment to the next. And, uh, and that became a five-day series in the Palm Beach Post and with some good friends um, who had contacts at William Morris, the, the uh, talent agency, and Simon & Schuster helped me get that, that book published. Uh, and that's been, it's been 10 years since that. It'll be 10 years in, in November. Wow. Yeah. 10 years, man. <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny. I was going through and I was like, you won an award. Do you remember what it was called? Because I was like, I have to find out what this is. What was it? It's called the Mariposa Award. Yes. The Butterfly Award. Yes, because I came out of my cocoon. <laughs> is that I what it is? My wings. Uh, that's that. I guess that's where it comes from. I don't know. I've never heard of that word before. That award before or since. But if I won it, I'm just going to go you, ahead and put it on that. You, you could tell I'm like a hawk looking for anything, right? <laughs> I was actually going to, in case you didn't know, uh, sales-wise, you're ranked 709,632 <laughs> in Amazon. <laughs> Wait, what was that? 709,000 when? 709,632. Oh, I moved up your spots. <laughs> there you go. Suck it, Carlos Spears, the pitcher. <laughs> no, and with this podcast, with you know, you'll maybe move up a couple. <laughs> I, I, at least another dozen spots. <laughs> another dozen spots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. getting to what I, what I was originally asking you, the favorite story you've ever written, I'm going to go ahead and assume, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but it's the one that won you the James Beard Award. Um, no, I wouldn't, it's not say necessary? I, I no? wouldn't, I wouldn't say necessarily uh, that, it, that it was that one, uh, that it was those. It, it was actually, that was a, a category that's it's a newish category, I think, that they really wanted to highlight people who were writing about their community well, you know, wherever they lived. And... Um, so you had to submit three stories. So I picked three stories that I wrote last year. One of them was a profile on Zach the Baker. <laughs> uh, folks, if you've never heard of Zach the Baker, then I, I don't know, uh, I don't know where you've been, but he's, uh, you know, you'll find his. He bakes his bread at a Winwood, and you can find him at all like the Whole Foods now. Now, do you think Pepito the Baker in Little Havana is angry over this? Pepito the Baker <laughs> is angry about I, it, only if he's a hater. Because <laughs> Zach is is funny. He's like from Miami. He's like yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. Yeah. yeah. And um, I wrote about that, and I wrote about this, uh, you know, after the hurricane, everybody was looking for, like, what is, what can I write, you know? Like, everybody's writing about the disaster, and I'm like, me as the food writer, what can I possibly write? And um, and I found out about this, um, there was a restaurant that was, you know, because uh, power was out, and the restaurant on the beach, all their food was going to, they were like, this, this food is going to be good for 24 hours, and then we're going to have to toss it. And it was like filet mignon, and lobster tails, and like, everything, you know what I mean? Um, and they, they hooked up with um, uh, Ken Russell, Commissioner Ken Russell, who uh, represented the Grove. And he stumbled on some guys, some local grill guys at the Grove, uh, in the Grove. And he's like, you know, if we got you this food, could we organize like a quick cookout? And they did that. And there were like hundreds of people that just streaming in, getting fed. You know, lady who was like, you know, I've been eating Vienna sausages straight out of a can for, you know, for a week. And uh, not that... I don't like Vienna sausages out of a can. I do, 
they're delicious. <laughs> Dipped in ketchup, that's fine. I don't have a problem. Oh, with you that. have some sponsorship deal with them, but or something? I don't. <laughs> I didn't say the brand. Um, but but not when it's your. I do that as a as a sick as a sick uh, 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 remembrance of my childhood. Not 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 my as my sole source of. Uh, I, I actually had so, I actually had someone someone who made me Vienna sausages in a blanket, thinking because I told them I love pigs in a blanket. Ooh. Oh, that doesn't sound good. I guess she wanted to be my enemy, so she went home thinking. Um, she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna make these pigs in a blanket." And she shows up with that. And I was like, "There's no way I'm eating that." Oh, I mean, <laughs> that's not the person you marry. Right? No, no, it's not. <laughs> I was gonna say because you can't say too much bad about it. But okay, now we're free to. So anyway, so I, I wrote about this lady. You know, you know these folks who were just like. I mean, we're talking about the the. If you're from Miami, you call it the the Black Grove. You know, it's the the section of Miami of, of Coconut Grove that was traditionally uh, Bahamian. And, uh, and still there's long populations of, of uh, African-Americans and, and Bahamian-Americans that live there. So, you know, I wrote about that. I wrote about, I forget what the other story. Oh, the guy that started an organic farm at a Westchester, uh, an old Westchester Episcopalian church that happens to sit on four acres. So, like, I, I, was, I, was, I was proud of that. I mean, it was great to win, but it was really great to win about writing about something that, like, when you write about something that you kind of care about, you know, that really speaks to Miami. Like, here are people that are doing really different amazing things that they're I mean they're really affecting their community like those people were hungry they got fed Zach the Bear, you know he wanted to bake bread because he's a he's a nut he just that's the thing that he has a passion for and now he's like this uber successful guy because he's got obviously got a great business mind and and you have this guy who just like loves farming and everything else like I turned down a career in medicine because he wanted to pursue farming and now he's farming of all places you know and, and right in the middle of the city and it's like stories like that 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 that's what that's what pumps me up, and I don't know if I told you this, but you know you win the James Beard Award, and I think I might have told uh, Mike from Ariette, uh, uh, Mike Chef Mike Beltran from Ariette. Like it's funny, yeah, oh, from Tea Time with Mike and Mike, Tea the Time podcast. with Mike and Mike, the podcast, another excellent podcast. <laughs> However, they may keep you on for two and a half hours worth of stuff, but it'll be good. But I told Mike I was like, winning the James Beard Award doesn't help me write any of the stories that I want to write. Like it doesn't get me in the door. To write any of like any of those stories that, that would have happened, none of those would have come any easier if I would have like shown up with the James Beard Award around my neck, like, like you did like here today. He's like, oh, no, it's just like you, like you walked in here wearing it. That's right over my donut shirt. I did that just for you. I thought you'd appreciate that. Uh, I, I that picture will definitely make it onto my Instagram. All right, All right we'll see if we can. We'll see. We'll see about that. You know, someone that you wrote about, and I actually was not familiar with him. Uh, Jonathan Gold's passing. Oh, yeah. uh, um, and I had I had learned about him because of the documentary City of Gold, yeah. and how he just you know they found out I guess early July he had pancreatic cancer and then he just passed away within a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's it was pretty stunning uh, from from the reports that I read that it, he just immediately he didn't have a lot he didn't have a long time to really mourn what was going to happen to him. Uh, I had ne- I never met him. I had only read his writing, and not even I can't say that I was a dedicated reader of it. I was you know I read it as a as a touchstone. Like I'd go to it every now and then to really see what is what is he doing. And I met him for the first time in uh, in late April at the the James Beard Award where oh. he won he won I think a fifth one. Um, and he you know he they he'd won earlier in the day, and then I won and I was like my eyes were like as big as saucers you know and I saw him and I was like. You know, I just wanted to say, you know, congratulations, you know, for everything you've done. You know, congrats on your on your award. I was just, that was my, you know, we like, we both had like a glass of like some alcoholic beverage and we clinked them and that was the, that was my, 
uh, my contact with him. But it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was very sad because he did he did something with food writing that that uh, hadn't been done before. He did it like a guerrilla style. He did like he did like Gonzo journalism, like Hunter Thompson. Right. Well, except without the with, without the drugs, without the mushrooms, without the magic mushrooms. Yeah, I, you know, I saw I saw the documentary and I felt a connection to him because I I kind of. I saw what he did, and I thought that was just absolutely cool because I felt I felt some parallels to him. Not not in the writing, because I mean he writes circles around what I do. But um, as far as his passion of you know pointing out these mom and pop shops that kind of didn't get their due, you know, I mean he helped along a lot of people. So you know when I finally passed, I, I thought that was kind of sad. It was it was because his uh, he he treated uh, he treated all those mom and pops with like with such respect. Like here, like he he loved finding a place where there were people that were toiling for something that they just they were passionate about. Like this is something that I'm good at, that I feed people. You know, I can you know make a living at, and it's delicious. You know, and he really he appreciated people who, um, in in his community who were not who were never going to have a press release written about him. You know, what I mean, I think that's that's always what I try to look for is write about people who are, who don't have a publicist. I mean, sometimes the people who have a publicist are worth writing about for sure. But find the good stories that aren't pitched to you, you know? What are some of the favorite places for you to eat? Now, I know, obviously, if we follow you on Instagram, we can kind of see you. But are there some places that you see and maybe they're not as busy? Like, for me, I mentioned when I was on, on Tea Time, I love a place called Amadi Mix. I also love Odali's, the, the like Cafe, which they're both actually happen to be in the same strip mall in Westchester. Right. And I love both places, and I never see them packed, and it drives me nuts, you know, because then you drive by, like, you know, and, and not to shit on chains, but you drive by an Applebee's and it's like busting at the seams, and you're like, you know, if if only some of these people would be turned on to these other places, I think that they would really like what, what was going on. You know, I think I think it it's uh, it's a it's a bummer because if you open a Cuban restaurant, guess what, man, you got a lot of competition. You know what I mean? Like that's if you're an Applebee's, you're just an Applebee's. You know what I mean? You're a you're a you're at Disney World, you know what I mean? You're, people know what they're going to get when they go there, so they go for that thing, you know? Um, and I don't, I just, I, the more I've done this, the more I realize that people in general are just not adventurous when it comes to food. More, most people are not adventurous when it comes to food. They I can tell you my parents are not. Yeah. I mean, it's a battle with me. Uh, you know, I'm like, they're like, where do you want to go eat? And I say a restaurant, and they're like, no, let's go to Longhorn, or let's go, and, and, and look, I can have a good meal on Longhorn, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, I, I'll tell them, no, let's go over here. And so let's go to La Fresa Francesa. And they're like, they're like pretty much no. that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know? Right. Unless it's like a Cuban it. restaurant, I'm more li- I, I may be able to convince them to go with me. Yeah. If it's anything out there, like Mr. and Miss Bun, which I love, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're going to be like, yeah, that's that's not going to happen. You see, I, I think you, you and I had a similar experience. When I was growing up, we didn't eat out almost at all. Like, my dad was... He cooked. I mean, he, my dad was a camino con los codos, as the saying goes. He's right. cheap, but really because he came, you know, from a, a meager existence. You know, like until the age of twenty-three, he lived on a farm. You know, uh, living on a, on a rented farm, not their land that they owned. You know what I mean? Um, so we always cooked at home. My mom cooked at home. Her dad was un panadero. I was a, a, a bread, you know, a baker and a butcher at, at different points. So they these people only ever ate at home. We ate out. On Sunday, at uh, after church, at an IHOP in Miramar, that's that was our going out, uh, and all. Uh, and sometimes we would eat at this little Spanish restaurant called Asturias, 
that was in Hialeah on East 4th, um, and it was there for, it had to have been there for 30 years before it closed when they renovated that mall. It was, it was the last little shopping center before you got to uh, the Hialeah racetrack um, on, on East 4th, uh, going south. And like that was eating out for them. So they, to get my parents to eat out is like, I, my parents have never had sushi. My dad, the thing is, my dad is adventurous. My dad will eat anything from a person, you know, like who's been in jail and he's eating food with like worms in it. The guy will eat anything. Like he will eat anything and he loves it all. Like it was cooked in front of him by Joel Robuchon. You know what I mean? Like it was made by one of the greatest chefs in the world with attentive care just for him. You know, and it was, you know, it was Anthony's coal fire. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he, he just, it's hard to impress him with food because he just loves everything. Hey, the wings at Anthony's Coal Fire are awesome, man. I'm, I'm not crazy about their wings. I, really? I get it. I love those I onions, man. I, maybe it's just the onions things that make yeah, me... Uh, I like... I'm a, I'm a crispy wing guy. I like, a, I like a crispy, meaty wing, and I'm a drumette guy. I'm not... You know, the, the other yeah. part of the wing, I'm okay So you pay with. extra hooters like I do. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a drumette guy. Um, so, yeah. So, so I... So, so at least name so name one place that 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 you kind of feel wish had more more uh, exposure maybe maybe uh, yeah in well, Miami that you like to eat a at. place that I went out to, and I think now I don't think it's a problem from now I think now they've they can get all the business they want uh, except in the summers is uh, Empanada Harry's right out in out in Kendall I heard about him <laughs> yeah yeah you may have, you may have met him once or twice. <laughs> And um, I think you may have been the one that turned me on to them. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I, I was very obsessed with them when I when I when I went there yeah. the first time. I mean, they're in the middle of a strip mall in in you know on a hundred and forty two. I think I think one fifty two. One fifty two and Bird. Yeah. In Casa Garao. Yeah. And uh, and the other day, like it was uh, my girlfriend had graduated from. She got her master's degree, and I wanted to get her. Like she loves. Uh, uh, tres leche. And they make a killer, you know, tres leche with with uh, flor de cana rum. Right. That, they won. They won on my dessert competition. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I drove across the county <laughs> to get that that tres leches, and then I took it to work and put it in a brown paper bag in the fridge so nobody would could would be interested in it, and then brought it home, and I was a hero. And but like those guys, I, I don't know how they do during the week, but at a place like that, like those mom they do, and they do, places, and they do a chipotle chicken empanada, which is it's baked. It's he not did fried. a Korean. He did a Korean. What, no, he called it a dim sum empanada with Brussels sprouts and roasted pork. I mean, a lot of care went into it. I think it's not everybody's gonna. And that's the thing. I was I was laughing with him because he said, you know, most people come in and I make all these crazy empanadas, and they'll be like. Let me have three, three beef and three chicken, you know. And he's like, "Wait, try one of these." Yeah, you know? tr- I think it drives them nuts that I love the chipotle chicken. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good, but uh, I'll get the chipotle chicken." Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll try, I'll try the new one. I'll definitely try the new one, but I'll like, if I don't have the chipotle chicken, I think I'll cry. Right, to to right. be honest, I, I love it that much. You recently wrote a, a piece, uh, the Miami Spice Experts, yeah. with uh, Danny from Blue Collar, right? Um, Mignonette, Mike from Sweet Melody, Mike from JoJo T. And Andy Miami, love Andy Miami. Yeah, uh, I yeah. mean, I wish he was more all over the place in my in my in Miami. And um, but I was thinking, what if you were dropped in an island with them, right? And oh you I, and you can only save three of them. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I can only save three. You would save three. Now, if you ask me, if I was dropped in an island with them four, I can tell you, I would let Danny die. Danny Surfer. 
Uh, I think that uh, Danny will probably drive me nuts. Which is the one? <laughs> Danny's going to hate me for saying that too, the by the way. Which is the one that you could eat? Which is the one that you could eat? You got to look at all of them. And which one is the... Well, the thing is, that we're, if we're thinking like that, I'm going to... I'm, I'm done for. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, I think I'm Danny... To think, <laughs> I'm trying to think practically. Within minutes of landing on the island, I'll be like, which one of these motherfuckers am I <laughs> Like, who is the weakest of you that I can well, Dan- wrestle Danny cooks kill? with a lot of butter, so I think that he was probably well-seasoned. See, but, 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 <laughs> but Danny can cook, so you want to keep him, I think. You want to keep the guy that can cook, baby? No, nah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I want to keep Danny. I'm, 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 like, dead set on Danny would be the one guy. <laughs> like, you might just go kill him anyway. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, I might go, I might go get rid of him. Now, now, now I'm going to get a call to, uh, saying... Why? Why do you want to kill me? Both of us, both of us like Danny Surfer a lot. We're not. We love Danny. We're not. We'd never wish any harm upon him. Are you sure about that? I wouldn't wish any harm. Upon no, him. I, lo- I love. Dan- I, re- I really do love Danny. But I also love uh, messing around with with uh, with Danny. So uh, you know what I love about Danny? Um, about a year ago, about a year and a half, like shortly after I started, I want to say I'd been here about six to eight months, and he said, "I might have a story for you." I said, okay. And he goes, but I, I'm not ready to talk about it just yet. I know what story you're talking about. That's a great story. And I said, okay. I said, okay. I said, listen, whenever you're ready, you know, whatever it is, you know, uh, that's cool. Let me know. So a year goes by. And a year later, he says, remember I told you I had something I wanted to talk to you about? I said, yeah. <clears throat> he said, um, uh, I'm ready to talk about it now because this year will be 10 years that I'm sober. Uh, said sober and he says sober from alcohol and drug abuse and we met and we ended up talking and Danny told this incredible story of a guy who was incredibly driven to be the best like the best of the best you know to that you know he only accepts that like that's that's the ego thing you know and he drove himself to to serious drug and alcohol use to the fact where to the point where he was doing he told me this incredible routine of how he would leave for work. He would leave some drugs. He would leave uh, like an upper or like an ecstasy or something by his door when he left so that when he came home, it's the first thing he would do when he came in is, is, drop, is drop E. And then he would go on this... this uh, he, would, he built this terrine of, of uh, cocaine, pot, uh, and uh, and uh, and whiskey, and like he would just do that all night. He would just do that all night, and crash to get some sleep, and then go and work, and go and cook. And he was like, you know, he was living in this in this fantasy, you know, until he finally decided one day to get clean. Like one day he came into work and was like, uh, he's like, I can't work today. I think I have a problem, and I think I need to get help today. And. Uh, and it was Chef Allen, Allen Susser, who was one of the Mango Gang, you know, one of the, the, the kind of like the original chefs in Miami that really kicked up cuisine in Miami to a, to a different level. And Danny was his his sous chef, you know, was kind of his, his number two um, at with the restaurant that he had in Aventura. And to his credit, man, like he when Danny came clean, he he had a job for him when he came back, you know. Um, so that I was I had so much respect for him for basically talking about a thing that's a huge problem. In the industry, you know that nobody talks about it. it's the dirt. It's the, it's the dirty secret, the the the, the worst kept secret. Um, 
and I just thought that he did such such a great thing, such an amazing thing to to bring that to light. You know. Yeah, I, I, it caught me off guard. I know Danny already at that point in a few years, and I had no idea. It's not some topic that we had ever touched upon. Right. You know, and that, Danny's even come to over to my parents' house for Noche Buena, you know. Right. And uh, so. Uh, yeah, so the, no, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't need Danny first on that, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, maybe Mike from JoJo T might be. Uh, See, but all those guys, man, I think I think uh, uh, Andrew might be in trouble because Andy might be in trouble because he just he just loves to eat, and I'm like, listen, brother, if you can't cook some food, then you might be in trouble. Oh no, he can cook too, though. He can cook. I might be in trouble. I might be. Wait a minute, I might be the one. Holy, yeah, what's that saying? It's like if you can't spot the circus, right. you're the sucker. Yeah, in poker games, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm the one that I think I might be the one. That's probably the yeah. safest. It's bet. funny because I, I thought, well, what if he doesn't want to answer this as you you have to eat? I was going to make this a Mary fuck kill. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't make me do this to any of those men. <laughs> what if we did it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so how long you been you the food editor now for? Uh, it's two years now. Two Has years. it been two years? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was two awesome. years in it was two years in May. And uh, you know they they called me. I was I was kind of like the protege of uh, Liz Balmaceda. Liz Balmaceda was a right. was a two time uh, Pulitzer Prize winning writer from the Miami Herald. Um, she uh, went off on sabbatical, and uh, when after she won a second Pulitzer to write a book and, and to work on a movie uh, with Andy Garcia, and that, uh, it was like the life story of Arturo Sandoval. You might have seen it on Showtime or something. And um, <clears throat> and she eventually ended up leaving the Herald for reasons that I'm not gonna get into. Um, but she took a job at the Palm Beach Post, and she was like a real. She's she's be she's a real friend, and she was a real mentor. And she really brought me. She's like, you should be writing about food. She's like, because you can tell those stories about people, like tell it through food. Use food to get you in the door to talk about those things. And she was totally right. So I was her protege in writing that for a couple of years, and then so when the Herald said, you know, we have a job here, I'd always wanted to work at the Herald, always my whole life. Uh, was about um, hopefully getting a job here one day. <clears throat> I thought it would be as a sports writer. Uh, I actually turned down a job as a sports writer at the Herald in 2006, and um, and two weeks later I was in Cuba. Like that's how crazy the world is. Wow. Yeah, I turned down a job to to cover the Miami Dolphins, um, like a one-two with Armando Salguero, and um, <clears throat> and I turned. I mean, they offered it, and I took it home, and I thought about it, and I was like, no, you know, it's writing features, writing these stories are what I care about. And it meant not coming to Miami. It, mean, it meant not coming to the huge newspaper. It meant staying at a smaller paper, which, I mean, I took the job at that paper to get back to South Florida from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, where I turned down covering the University of Georgia, which was like the premier job. It was like the premier beat. They were like, what beat do you want? Do you want to cover the Hawks? Do you want to cover Georgia? Do you want to? Like, they were like, don't leave. Because <clears throat> um, it was a new a new editor that had been hired and said, don't leave, don't don't go to Miami, stay here, we'll offer you whatever job. And I said, no, I got to get to where my family is. And that's why I came to the Palm Beach Post and eventually why I came to Miami, to the Herald, because I needed to be near my daughters. And I said their mom and I are together, but they live half the time with her and, and um, <clears throat> like Kendall. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, where I was living, you know, it was, it was too difficult to, it got too difficult to, to be at the Post, even though I was living in South Broward to be in their lives as much as I needed to be and wanted to be. And um, and I just, you know, the Herald said, we have a job as the food editor. And I was like, man, you're picking the wrong guy for this. I was like, you need to go hire Liz. Like, she's the she's the who you want. You know, she's fantastic. She's at the Pulitzer's, you know? And and um, 
<clears throat> against my better judgment, <laughs> I, I took the job. And I just, uh, I took, uh, you know, Evan Ben told me something early on. I, I have to credit Evan because he was the one, because I was already in talks with the Herald about taking the job for the last eight months, getting some kind of job. Sports looked like, I said, like it might be it. And he he said, you know, uh, he also, he, the name came to Minnie Marquez, who's the, the editor-in-chief, through two avenues. One, because I talked to her, and then he brought up my name to her. Like, he saw me writing about food, and we tweeted. We had never met, but we uh, kind of, we created a like an acquaintance uh, over social media. And she, he was like, what about this guy? You know, why don't you, you know, talk to this guy? So, so I, I have to credit him in saying, you know, he also told me, you know, here it's just like any other job. It's just like covering anything else. You know, you talk to people that know more than you do, and you let them you let them talk to you about what they do. And um, and I basically just took what I'd been doing in other parts of my career, talking to athletes or whatever, or talking to regular regular folks, and just turned it to food. And you know, that's what I've done. I don't know any. I didn't know. I don't. I can't call myself an expert on on anything. And I and I uh, go out of my way not to. Um, I even stopped reviewing. I stopped doing food reviews because I spent so much time uh, wanting to get to know the people that are that are creating the food, you know, and creating the communities and creating the stories. That it, it's incompatible with with doing dining reviews. Uh, it was the least favorite part of my job was was eating out for free on the company's dime. Uh, was the least favorite part of my job. Yeah, it's funny. You know, when you took over, and like I said, we had met because of the. Palm Beach posting. Evan had done such a great job mm-hmm. as Miami food editor. I, I couldn't even tell you who was the editor before him, to mm-hmm. or if the position existed. I'm I'm not I'm not even quite sure. And then uh, you came in, you took over, and I, I thought you've done an awesome job. I mean, you went on to win you know a James Beard Award, which is you know incredible. And um, I mean, the rumor I heard is that Evan hates you because of that. <laughs> no, I don't think that's true. Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure that's not true. Evan Bougie Ben is not angry. No, no, I don't think he's at all angry. I think that he's. My guess is that he's really proud that whatever he started in Miami uh, got to the point where someone like me who doesn't know his ass from his elbows could come in and write about the community and, and win, you know, the highest the highest award in, in food. I don't know about that. <laughs> Just messing around. You look sad like if I punished you in the corner no, right don't now. Punish <laughs> don't punish me. Ben, uh, I know. I, and ben I think that, I think the the thing that's made you stand out is that you've been do- doing a lot of chefy stories. No, please don't use that term. That's I, every now and then I'll post a term on Twitter. I say today's word that I'm hunting into extinction. And uh, recently I said chefy. I'm hunting the word chefy into extinction. I don't want to do anything chefy. Uh, that's like a, a some cooking term, I guess that. Chef, what like foodie? <laughs> no, like chefy, like oh, like when you add uh, when you add uh, a certain spice or seasoning to your to your traditional cooking, or you do a different method. You know, it's a chef. How about method. when you kick it up a notch? No, that's, <laughs> that's one of those. I try to kick it up a notch. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a fan of uh, that one. <laughs> so I got one final question for okay, you. Okay. Do you think the Miami food scene gets the respect it deserves? Uh, I think now it does. I'll, I'll tell you what. I think the reason that I won a James Beard Award is because it's getting the respect that it deserves. I think that people here have done, are in the last. Really, I mean, it's been. It's like you have to build on foundations, right? Like, like there can't, there couldn't be uh, a Mike Beltran at, at Ariette without Michael Schwartz, you know. And there couldn't be a Michael Schwartz without there have be, having been. Uh, 
an Alan Susser or a Norman Van Aken. Like without those guys around to build that foundation, they each built on each other. You know, that, that whole idea that if I have seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. If nobody out here can say, I'm changing the game and Miami, you know, I'm the one that put Miami on the map because they can't say that. It's, it's been a, a, a group and team effort, you know, like, um, and I think that that's now why Miami is, that's why you can have a gourmet donut and people will go crazy to go get it because people now see that in other cities and they're happy to see it here. That's why like a Mojo Donuts can open and they can open a, now a third location. They're opening a location in, in Coral Gables, I'm sure you know. Um, I may have heard something. You may have heard something about that. <laughs> um, and I think that the reason that that has success uh, and, and it wouldn't have 10 years ago is because now there are people living here. You know, Miami is a major city where it the, the culture turns over every few years. It turns over. And it's people are always being infused from other states. So people are coming from other states where they have plenty of gourmet donuts to choose from. They have plenty of... Uh, of they, they expect to be able to live in a city where they can find Vietnamese food, Ethiopian food, you know, uh, some kind of Latin food here. It's obviously Cuban. You can find Puerto Rican food now. More, as traditionally haven't been able to, but I think now with the hurricane, I think you're going to be able to see more Puerto Rican food. Um, you can find... People come to Miami expecting to be able to find food from everywhere. And I think that is what puts you on the map as a major food city. And I think if we're not, I think we're there. I think we're there, but it, but we still have room to, to, I think we color in more colors and now we have more shades to color in between to really fill out like a, I, I think what was really telling in probably the last three or four years noticeable is all these chefs that came from out of town, these big name chefs open places down here and they just bombed. Yeah. yeah. And it was kind of like Miami was saying, yeah, we're not having any of this. Yeah. We got our own stuff going on. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't uh, need you from coming from out of town and kind of showing us up. Right. I think, I think that as a matter of fact, I think some <laughs> restaurants from out of town have opened locations here because they've seen the Miami food scene. Uh, develop so much that you can, you know, um, for instance, uh, you know, Jose Mendin starts Pub Belly Sushi, which are now everywhere. So now Lure Fish Bar can come down from New York and sell their stuff here because they've seen a local do it with success. Excuse me, the great Jose Mendin. The great Jose Mendin. <laughs> we have to, we have to like, we have to, what's the, the Sammy Sosa chest tap? Uh, uh, you know, the, the reason that you can have like a, like an upland come down here is because you know like you've had you've seen success from from other restaurants that do that kind of thing you know michael schwartz where he does you know uh, this farm to table he was really one of the first to look at that farm to table idea to like grow vegetables for his restaurant um you know that gives birth to 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 um Guy, you know uh, uh, uh chef neven patel down at Guy, who's now who's got two locations almost simultaneously by growing his own food in his own backyard, basically. You know, he lives on a farm. Um, so that's what I'm talking about, all those things building on each other. And so if you're a New York restaurant that's legit, if you're a Steven Starr, you know, who's got some restaurants in New York and Philadelphia, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go. I want a piece of that, too. People are ready for that. So I think, you know, New Yorkers come down. They see that food. They eat at those places. And then they, you know, they see the Miami restaurants. And, and then they learn what that's all about, you know. Fuacada. <laughs> so with that we will leave you this is a second episode of the burger beast podcast i got to thank my bud my friend carlos frias for coming on 
Yeah, Carlos, got any uh, last words? No, it's my pleasure to be on here. These are great. Uh, I'll, I'll now have something to, in the weeks going forward. I'll have stuff to listen to on my iPod on my way uh, into beautiful Dural traffic. And I hope Evan Ben does not want to kill me. Signing off to the next episode. <laughs>